Hello, 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 and welcome to a brand new season of Coffee with a Shot of Cynicism, the Gilmore Girls podcast. I'm Jeffrey. I'm Eleni. And we are very excited to be back for season five. It has been quite a while, has it not? Uh, I think it's been 14 months. Yeah, over a year. I think it was over August. A year. Yeah, it was, I think it was August of 2021 when we signed off. We've done a couple of bonus episodes since then but nothing really major so um I guess a lot has changed since then in terms of you know we're not stuck at home as much anymore correct correct I've been venturing outside a little bit yes (laughs) I even came to visit lovely Eleni this summer so I guess there was a bit more freedom in the world not to say that you know everything is hunky-dory once again I don't think that'll ever happen but here we are Um, We want to share some exciting news podcast-wise in terms of ways you can now support us in addition to social media and etc. You can now uh, become a patron of ours on Patreon, which is a platform that helps creators um, earn a little bit of income from their creations. A bunch of different kind of creators across the internet use it. So um, for a nominal fee each month, you can join and get access to our bi-monthly email newsletter that we are currently working on. We have the first edition all set out to go. Um, And what else else to say about the newsletter? Um, It's going to be very much the two of us and this kind of banter you hear here a lot. So... Um, we would really appreciate it if you would join. <laughs> um, yes, it's only $4 a month, four American dollars a month. Yeah. So if you're calling, calling, if you're listening is what I meant to say from Europe, it's a little bit cheaper in Canada. It's a little bit more expensive, but still very affordable. And, you know, this has always been an independent project of ours, but it is costly. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's just a way for us not to become rich off of this by any means. We still love doing what we're doing and we still want to keep it independent, but it's a way to kind of like mitigate some of our costs and make it a little bit easier for us to continue doing this because there is a lot of hard work that goes into this, um, a lot of time and effort. Mm-hmm. So, um, it would just be nice to be rewarded a little bit and you get a little extra content and that content will be available on the same days that the podcast is available. Yes. So every Friday when you get a podcast episode, well, actually not every Friday, because that's another announcement we wanted to make. Um, We are going to be doing one week on, one week off. So every other week you will get an episode. And those who have subscribed to be patrons to our Patreon will get, in addition, that newsletter Mm -hmm. um, also in their inboxes. Yes, exactly. So twice a month you get a new episode of the podcast, with the news i'm just realizing now that like when we said one week on one week off that's twice a month so twice a month the newsletter and twice a month the podcast so that yes one, that works out uh perfectly exactly i might have also promised not promised i didn't make any promises what am i saying i might have also um given the proposal of the occasional bonus episode of the podcast available exclusively to our patrons um that's still a bit of a tba because you know our schedules are both somewhat hectic from time to time so um if but if we do get the chance to record a bonus episode that could just be for our patrons we will explore that option in the future right now it's uh not right now it's not really on the on the table but perhaps in the future it will be correct 
Yes, things might change in the future for sure. Mm-hmm. We always love doing those bonus episodes, whether they be interviews or um, exploring different topics that we don't get the chance to go in depth in um, during our regular episodes. Yeah. But um, that still remains to be seen. Mm-hmm. And about the newsletter, like Jeffrey said, it's a lot of just us um, doing our thing. But it's also, you know, we get a lot of questions on our Instagram and on our Twitter about what we're listening to, what we're reading, what we're watching, um, you know, thoughts on certain things that are happening pop culture wise. So it's kind of a roundup of what we've been doing in those two weeks media wise. So what we've been watching, reading and listening to, um, as well as kind of our reactions. And there is Gilmore Girls content in there as well. So it's not just um, completely off brand. There is Gilmore Girls content. So in addition to the podcast content. So if you can swing it, please consider joining if you can't you know no worries we still love you and oh yeah absolutely it's not a like we said it's just for us to keep doing what we're doing but we're gonna do it anyway so if you really can't swing it we know times are tough inflation hella high so uh yeah just keep listening and we'll still be happy but if you can please do because you know it's (laughs) like like she said it's a lot of work to make the podcast and it's a lot of work to obviously now manage the patreon because you make that you make that choice and then you have to keep up with it so yeah um, you can find us at patreon.com slash slash the more girls podcast see i'm already already having verbal diarrhea we're back you're already back in podcast mode you can't speak (laughs) so uh yes and one little tidbit about patreon that is going to make Eleni roll her eyes at me is um, until like I started following a couple of create like online content creators who are North American. I didn't realize that Patreon in like North American vernacular is pronounced Patreon because the first experience I had with Patreon was with um, Diver Tom Daly on his YouTube channel. And since he is British, he says it is Patreon. So I was under the impression it was called Patreon. But Sorry, why does an Olympic diver need a Patreon? Um, because he has a YouTube channel and he <laughs> he likes to uh, goat people with content. Yeah, but he's already a millionaire. I know. God, yeah. God love I'm him. I'm not a millionaire. Yeah, no. God love him, but he's an attention whore. <laughs> a little bitch. Anyway, that's, uh, she, I know she rolled her eyes at me, but it's fine. Anyway, so before we jump into season five, episode one, another thing that'll make Eleni roll her eyes at me is I have a small, small, short article, not small, short article that I would like to read, share with you all. Um, She yelled at me prior to recording because she said that's what the newsletter is for. But this is an article from a literal, physical, human humankind magazine that i bought in a store it's not an online article i'm probably is somewhere online but i bought this magazine in store actually when i was visiting eleni in toronto and what what drew me to the september 20 the september 2022 edition of l magazine was obviously that adele was on the cover but also that it was extremely thick like old magazines used to be which they aren't anymore because i guess it's wasteful and most advertising and such is generated online now so anyway I just thought it was a treat to find a magazine that was actually looked like a magazine so this article that I wanted to share is by R. Eric Thomas and it's called the TV guide method of personal growth on Abbott Elementary and aching for the old school's television seasons of yore 
which I thought was kind of on brand for Gilmore Girls and Gilmore Girls fans who yearn for that kind of stability that that used to come every fall with school and the network TV schedule of watching your favorite shows as they premiere. So I wanted to share that and I will right now. I can't wait to tell my grandkids about how we had to wait all summer for new TV. I don't have grandkids or kids, so I'm unsure how all this will occur, but I've never been beholden to the tyranny of reality. I was, however, beholden to the agony and ecstasy of the old TV schedule. New content would end mid-May and the TV would tell you, go outside, find a pool, cultivate a personality, tough love. Ah, but then fall would roll around. The TV guide would debut its supersized fall preview issue and the channels would be filled with NCISs in a variety of cities, townships, and unincorporated lands. Nowadays, TV comes at you all the time, all year long. Last winter and into spring, largely due to COVID delays in production, we saw a wave of new, t- of new shows seasons as just as the traditional TV season would have been winding down. The flight attendant and hacks were, jo- were jockeying for attention with newbies Abbott Elementary and Severance. I entered the summer a little dis- discombobulated. Was TV season over? Was it just beginning? I know that beyond the TV and school schedules, fall is not the, t- fall is not the time we think of for starting something new. But as I will soon tell my grandkids, that's incorrect. Yes, I love that first day of spring when you can drive around with your windows down. Of course I do, I'm not a monster. But I just don't think that spring is a logical time for beginning again. This idea is propaganda, a disformation campaign put out by Big Plant. I'm supposed to be blooming, blossoming, blossoming, reinventing, and I don't even have a base tan yet? Seems impractical. Spring shows up and is like, dust your shelves, idiot. Get serious about your resolutions. Be a different person. Meanwhile, the sun is still going down at about 2.45 p.m. and it's raining all the time. Tend to your own, ho- tend to your own house, Spring. Fall two is not perfect. The only perfect seasons are when McDonald's brings back Monopoly, when Jennifer Lawrence has a movie to promote, and Happy Honda Days. Every plant is like, goodbye forever, I mean it. The temperature plays games, leaving you sweating in your, in your chunky knit. Bobbing for apples is abhorrent. But fall, to me, is a better launching pad for turning over a new leaf, even if that leaf is un feuille malt. Think about the energy you bring into fall. In an ideal summer, you've seen those you cared about soaked up the sun, dine under the stars. Maybe you've had a fling, something cute, nothing lasting, but no hard feelings. Maybe you'll reconnect later. Who knows? A carefree but charged who knows is the motto of fall. That's exactly the energy of that old fall preview of TV Guide 2. Will you like a new show about a psychic DJ who solves cold cases using remixes? Who knows? As a pop culture addict and future young grandfather, the cadence of the TV season appeals to me at an emotional level and at a body rhythm level. That ache for the old rhythm of TV of school, of a renewal in this darkening season is why Abbott Elementary, Quinta Brunson's sharp, smart mockumentary sitcom about a struggling public school, so captured my attention last spring. And it's why I'm so glad to have it back in my life this fall. Abbott follows an old model, an old model and structure in joke frequency and in broadcast. It airs on ABC with one new episode a week as God and some network exec from the, from the 60s intended. Finally, order in my, in my chaotic viewing life. There are times when it feels like we're living in a perpetual now where days blend together and even seasons don't have a sharp defined shape. But what I look forward to in every, but what I look forward to every year is that one perfect fall day when the warmth is at my back, the natural world quiets down, the TV gets good again, and who knows, maybe in some small part of my life, I have energy to start over. I just thought that was nice in terms of the old model of, you know, watching TV 
on the network television schedule, which is kind of on the outs in this current streaming era. So for a lot of Gilmore Girls fans, I find that's kind of the case. I wrote an article of about a month ago that some of our fa- some of our followers on Instagram were gracious enough to share their insights with me about why Gilmore Girls resonates in the fall. And I think that article summarizes a lot of why people like to return to Gilmore Girls in the fall. So that's that on that. I won't ask Eleni to comment too much or discuss it in depth because I promised her she wouldn't have to. <laughs> um, no, I mean, it kind of ties into what I wanted to talk about and um, in the intro of this episode, mm-hmm. uh, both our podcast episode and Gilmore Girls episode. Um, I also wanted to talk about how the season finale in May of 2004 of the fourth season mm-hmm. left us on this really big cliffhanger. Right. Um, and I think, is it safe to say, would you agree that that finale was the best one of the whole series? Or at least is it safe to say that your expectations for the fifth season premiere were super high because of that finale um, in the fourth season? Yeah, I wouldn't okay. Out of all of the seasons in terms of like an actual cliffhanger. Yeah. Probably. Like I wouldn't yeah, so maybe I would... not I didn't phrase it properly. So maybe not like the best season finale in terms of content or whatever, yeah. but the best season finale that wants like leaves you wanting more come yeah. fall, right? Yeah, the best season finale structurally. Exactly. Um it's what season finales were meant for, right? Yeah. Um it's what keeps viewers hooked and wanting to come back in the fall to watch their show. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And I think, you know, you and I watched Gilmore Girls differently. Mm-hmm. I watched it while it was still airing on its schedule. Yeah. Um, and I remember that fall, that summer being hell. <laughs> Cause I was like that little bitch slept with Dean and now I have to wait three months to find out what happens. Okay. So question let's let's just go into this right away question yeah. um like your instinct it, all, everyone's instinct obviously because she made a sh- Rory made a shitty decision let's just put it out there but right your instinct is obviously to say that little bitch slept with Dean like is it never like oh that stupid bastard took advantage of Rory or something oh like- so I think I made my feelings about this really clear last season and I know it's been a while so maybe we don't remember Uh, both you and me, not just you. But I think I made my feelings about that really clear. I think Dean is, um, you know, to blame, of course, maybe like 90% to blame in all of this and Rory's 10% to blame. Um, The reason I say that little bitch is because she's the protagonist. (laughs) Oh yeah, obviously, yeah. Like the show does not revolve around fucking Dean. Imagine if it did. Um, Mm. Oh, good Lord. Well, I mean, to be fair, Jared Padalecki led uh, his own network show for what, 15 seasons? So, yeah, no, it has, it's not, it has nothing to do with Jared Padalecki. It's more of, you know, this is Gilmore Girls. Yeah. And, you know, when you're left on a cliffhanger like that, you don't know where the writers are taking it. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's all kinds of ideas and theories swirling around in your head. But I don't know if this is going to be a one time thing, if they're going to chalk it up to her being a dumb college student and write him out of the show. I don't know where they're going with this. I don't, I didn't know that they were going to make him such a big part of the show, you know? So me saying, Oh, that little bitch is more like me being disappointed in a character that I followed for so long. Yeah. Whereas Dean is just a secondary character at this point. So it has nothing to do with like, 
internalized misogyny. Oh no, I wasn't thinking. I wasn't thinking that in your response. I was thinking in terms of you know the whole the fandom's tendency to just pile a lot of their own feelings and their own projections onto both Lorelai and Rory. And it's like, yeah, hey, if you don't like the Gilmore Girls, how do you watch Gilmore? The Girls? Gilmore Girls. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, I get it. Um, but I wanna. So I, what I asked you was, did it meet your expectations? Okay, and, I, didn't, I didn't even answer, did I? <laughs> no, no, no. But what I what I want to get with where I'm getting where I'm going with that is, so because you and I watched it so differently, mm-hmm. um, for me, I remember it not meeting my expectations, um, because that's the thing about network television. You wait all summer, and you have all these, like I said, series going around, like swirling around in your head. And I think that's the part, like that's never, they're never going to live up to what you actually see. (laughs) You know what I mean? Yeah. You're gonna, you're always going to think they could have done something better. Whereas when you have a show like this and you're able to binge watch it in such a unique way, like in streaming these days, you can just press next episode right away and it's like the story never had to end. Oh, exactly. And you never really had to think about it on your own and suffer the way I suffered. <laughs> you know? Yeah, like that's a, that's definitely something that a lot of people either, you know, young young preteens who might be getting into the television on their own for the first time, like I did, like when I was, you know, late elementary school-ish, when I first started like getting into TV for myself, like it was still... I'm not gonna say the golden age, but it was still like the age of network TV, you know, where yeah. you had to wait all summer or buy the, like, not even wait all, like for me, it was wait all summer, but also it was like, wait until the DVD comes out because there was no other way to to like get caught up other than to, to buy the DVDs. And those suckers yeah. cost you like $75 a piece, you know, so. Yeah, we've talked about this before. You really had to invest in those. Yeah, so you had to, you, you had to wait, you had to invest. There was so much planning that went into it whereas now it's just like like you said next episode it's right there at your fingertips yeah. and um I guess I guess you would reach an age where it's like everyone kind of understands where it's like kids these days really don't under like really won't get it but in terms of this episode and my expectations I'm trying to think back now to when I watched it for the first time which was on DVD I I didn't have access to Netflix at the time I watched it for the very first time so I was I was watching the DVDs and buying them as needed which mm-hmm. was you know that was 2016 so I was what ordering on Amazon and arrived the next day like pretty, pretty much the streaming age equivalent of DVDs um, yeah you still didn't really have to wait that long right no so I remember I finished season four and I was just I wasn't disgusted so to say but I was just like Oh, like worry what like what like that kind of typical reaction like I was definitely I wasn't so much I was kind of hard on both of them like in terms yeah. of what the fuck you know like that kind of reaction of no 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 and it was I was also angry I remember being angry at the time that you finally gave us Luke and Lorelai and then you had to sour it with Rory and Dean sleeping sleeping together and that's yeah that's how I felt at the end of season four the very first time I watched it and then into season five, it kind of just meandered for me. Like there was never really kind of, there was never really like a climax that it reached. It just kind of was, if that makes yeah. sense. Yeah. You know? I have a theory that 
because um, you know it's not a secret that a lot of people in the fandom hate Rory Gilmore. <laughs> no, um, it's not a secret. Yeah. Sorry, it's not a secret. <laughs> yeah, it's not a secret. Like you guys are really not good at the hush hush. Um, but I have a theory that more than people hating her because you know the the reason they give is usually oh she went so downhill when she went to college. Um, she turned into a brat. She did this and that. I have a theory that subconsciously people hate her because she ruined Luke and Lorelai's first moment. Interesting. I have a theory that like deep down she like people think in that moment she was so selfish mm-hmm. and you know she just needed you know she needed to Lorelai needed to go and tell her, you know, you we saw at the end of season five, Lorelai walks in, she's like, things are happening. Like, she's excited to go tell Rory, right? Mm-hmm. And I think I have a feeling that people think like, oh my God, her selfishness started there. She couldn't even give her mother this like thing that we've all been waiting for. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's a, yeah that's an interesting theory because there's a lot of, obviously, what is it, Java Junkie fans in the Gilmore Girls world, which obviously, like, they're the they're the couple to root for. Yeah. One of the couples to root for. But um, I think it has, like, obviously, I've given my thoughts on why I think popular culture in general hates Roy Gilmore. But um, I think in this instance, it's more or less, like, I've, I've I think I've said this before, is where, Lorelai, like there's this disconnect that was brewing between Lorelai and Rory over the course of season four. And obviously it, re- it reaches its, it reaches its climax at the end of, at the end of season five. But I think it's the start of this rift that because they didn't like, because they were mother and daughter second and best friends first, you know, that whole, that whole speech that yeah that whole spiel that she gives you yeah the whole speech that uh Lorelai gives to Emily in season two of them yeah. best friends first like I think that was like that groundwork just laid the just laid the laid the possibilities for so much psychological misinterpretation <laughs> yeah definitely and I think you know we're gonna talk we're gonna obviously get more in depth with this episode here um but there are certainly instances in this episode where um, that whole we're mother, daughter, second, best friends first kind of thing blows up in their faces. Yeah, and I think this is one of the very first, one of the very first times, at least because now Rory's an adult, quote unquote, right. where it's it's just like, I won't so I won't go so far as to call it right now a flaw in, in Lorelai's parenting. It is later on. Right now it's more so it's just like a, a kid making a stupid mistake and like we said at the at the end of season at the end of season f- uh, four where what did she say like he's minding or whatever like but yeah my first or whatever it was and it's just like yeah Rory, like you're very so, childish like this whole concept of you know when you turn 18 you're an adult like okay sure not, not true. <laughs> maybe on paper not in practicality <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Um, so I do like want to get into the nitty gritty of the episode. Okay. Because um, we've been talking abstracts. Yeah. <laughs> Let's do it. Okay. First, the, consider this just the, your intro. Now we have to go in depth. Well, you know, I mean, we already touched on a lot of stuff, but um, so the intro scene 
is we get to see a post-coital Rory and Dean moment. Okay. First of um, all, never ever say post-coital. Po- post what? <laughs> never ever say post-coital to me ever again. <laughs> oh, it reminds me of that scene in Pitch Perfect where she's like, not a good enough reason to use the word penetration. <laughs> yes, exactly. Not, not, not a good enough reason to use the word post-coital. <laughs> okay. Well, listen, we get to see a post-deed Rory and Dean. Um, <laughs> Yeah, well, because last season we only got to see Lorelai walking in on them all disheveled. Can I just tell you that there was an irrational anger that came out of me when it was all like, I love you, Dean. I love you. Don't move. Don't you dare. Love you. Like, fuck you. Can I tell you the one word that I wrote down in my notes for this particular moment of the episode? It was the very first it, thing I wrote down was in my notes. It was the very first thing that I wrote in my notebook for season five. It's one word, it's four letters. Yuck. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, uh, for me, it was just kind of gross how naive Rory comes across. Like, I love you, Dean. I love you, Rory. Like, he's not yours. <laughs> not even that is, I don't even think she sees him as a possession in this case. I think it's more like. No, but I mean, like, she's making it the way this whole thing was filmed is it's, it was filmed in a way that you would film. Uh, a, like a very loving, tender scene between high school sweethearts who just had their first time. Oh, yeah. When in, it's it's not at all filmed in a way where you're like, you guys just did something really bad. <laughs> exactly. And I think, like, put a pin in that because that to me is a recurring concept throughout the remaining the remaining three seasons of the show where it's like the aesthetic and the camp and like the storytelling style of the show like discounts a lot of the more like fucked up story elements for lack yeah. of a better term. No, yeah, I agree. Um, and I think, well, this is the first time we've ever gotten an alternate point of view scene. Mm-hmm. Um, so we get to see the Lorelai Rory scene through Dean's eyes. So we got we got it through their eyes last season. And now it's Dean kind of listening in. And Dean looks absolutely panicked when he leaves that house. Wouldn't you? Because you're the one who's married. Well, that's the thing. So I think he's so scared of getting caught because, you know, after the deed is done, ultimately he realizes that he's the married one, right? So yeah, Lorelai's mad at Rory, but she has the potential to kind of destroy his life right now if this gets out. Um, so yeah, I don't blame him for being panicked at all. And then, you know, towards the end where she calls his phone and Lindsay answers and she starts crying. I don't remember if we discussed this last season again, because it's been so long, but do you think she's crying because she realizes she's screwed up? Or is she crying because she's, like, her mom just ruined her life? Okay, I think it's more, I wouldn't say in the, in the instance where she, she breaks down having a moment on the front lawn after it happened. I wouldn't say in that, by that point, that she thinks of it as a mistake. I think in that case, when she calls and Lindsay answers, she's, real, she's realizing the gravity of what she's gotten herself into. And they, like... In in some insofar as oh crap like the the guy I just had sex with is married even though he said it's over like there's still the, there's still the obstacle of his wife what am I gonna do like that kind of yeah nonsense yeah so for me it was more like it was a combination of the two it was you know she's upset with her mom for kind of ruining her moment but I think the more her mom says it the more it's kind of sinking in mm-hmm. and then hearing Lindsay's voice I think for her just triggers like oh there's another person involved here (laughs) yeah exactly you know um it's it's one of those things where 
um, and I think this is a theme throughout the episode, she wants so badly to be right, but she knows she's wrong and she knows that her mother's right. Yeah. Um, so like if we look at the morning after at the inn where Rory comes for breakfast and it's super awkward, um, I think that is a moment where it's kind of set in for Rory. So the shame has definitely set in at this point. But she's still so mad at her mother. Mm-hmm. Um, and like no child wants to tell your mother, yeah, you were right. You know what I mean? I'd rather chew off my own foot sometimes than yeah. tell my mother she's right. And there's also the whole concept of like, I'm pretty, I can't speak for everybody, obviously, but there's, the, there's that whole moment that I think a lot of people have where they know their mom is right, but yeah. not, so, not even that they won't admit it, but it's like they know that they know their mom is right. They know they fucked up, but it's like, it's because it's your mom because it's your parent independently like i'm i wouldn't say i'm as close with my mom as rory is with lorelei but we do have a you know a lot of similar a, a lot of similarities in the relationship so to for to for me to admit that i made such a grave mistake to a person who i whose opinion i trust to maybe a little bit of an unhealthy extent is just a big iffy no no you know what i mean oh for sure and i think um I think she wants her mom to see her as an adult. Like she keeps saying that, like, I'm, I'm not a child, you know, mm-hmm. but if she admits that she was wrong, I think she's also scared that her mother won't see her as an adult. And I think she's scared in herself too, of like, if I admit that, that this was a mistake, then my whole, not just my whole, her whole existence, but like my whole, that this, this moment that she was looking forward to of losing her virginity is like, is will we'll be like us um what's the term like a, you know like we'll be a a, a red a, like a, a sore thumb sticking out in her of, in her memory bank you know yeah no i get it um it's it, it i think the morning after is is hard because i think too many things are going on in her mind she's had this fight with her mother and she would rather die than admit her mother was right mm-hmm. um she's also thinking about Lindsay and dean um, and she's also thinking like, what have I done? And it's just, I think there's just a lot going on in her brain. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. I just think this, the shame is starting to set in. It's always great when you're lying horizontal and you're like, candy man. Uh, okay. Okay. Which, by the way, which by the way, very effective because every time I hear that song, I vomit. <laughs> and tell them what happened the other night when you were watching. Oh the- my God. Yes. So there's proof of this. I sent Jeffrey proof. Um, but the other night I was watching the episode in preparation for the podcast, obviously. And I'm sitting there, I'm taking my notes and all of a sudden, um, I feel a wetness <laughs> and my nose started bleeding right when the Candyman song came on. The universe knows. See? And like, I had to run to the bathroom while this fucking Candyman song is still playing. And it was just a horror show. Also, the next morning I realized I did not do a good job of cleaning up. <laughs> Because there's only so much your hands can do when you're trying yeah. to cover everybody's nose. But anyway, <laughs> um, but yeah, like I was saying, like everything seems rosy when you're lying there and the, you know, endorphins are rushing through your body. But then the next morning after your mother's chased him out of the house and he was panicked and you're panicked and you've had this big fight, it's not so great anymore, <laughs> you know? Um, yeah, I know. And I think, and I think um, what's what the show what this episode tried to do 
and I think to an extent succeeded really well is try to give us the counter of that rosy moment. Mm -hmm. So, you know, yeah, they gave us that brief thing that makes me want to throw up. But the rest of the episode was really about them coming to terms with the decisions they made. Mm -hmm. And I think it was such an important scene to have that Lindsay and Dean scene in their apartment, just the two of them. It was before we jump to Lindsay and Dean, I do want to point, I do want to call bullshit on something, not of you, not in your opinion, but just call bullshit on something of the show in this episode, just in the whole con, like you're saying this, this rosy endorphins flying moment. Like that's obviously what it feels like to Rory and or Dean in the moment, but to the viewer, no, like to, to the, I don't know. I can't speak for every viewer, obviously, but to me, it's like, you're in your childhood bedroom. You're what? She's how old at this point? 18, 19. 19. 19. You're 19 years old in your childhood bedroom. She later admits to Lane, like, who would have thought Dean would even fit in my bed? Like, yeah, the whole thing is gross. Like, and also maybe this is irrelevant. Maybe not. Dean is gross and unshaven and needs a haircut. Like get the hell out of my bed. You know what I mean? we, We definitely talked about that last season, but, um, no, I think you're right. I think, as viewers, we're not meant to see it as this rosy moment, but it's a whole five minutes where they're just being cute and stuff, and cute for them, not for yeah, me. Definitely, cute, cute is in the is in the eye of the beholder. Exactly. No, cute for them is what I'm trying to say. But yeah, I think it's I think it's meant to make viewers uncomfortable. <laughs> um, well, um, mission accomplished. Exactly. Um, and so, what I wanted to say about the Lindsay and Dean scene, I think it was really hard to watch because. Lindsay is trying so hard um, to make this work clearly. And Dean is just so cold Mm -hmm. towards her. And he gets so mad at her when she answers his phone. Well, girl, red flag. (laughs) If any guy that you're seeing, or if anyone you're seeing gets so like that angry at the fact that you answer their phone, Mm -hmm. run. Well, we already saw this red flag in Dean back in season two. Oh yeah, for sure. But I'm saying like, girl just like he scolds her like a child and i think it's a very calculated move on his part definitely so number one it's projection plain and simple he did something wrong but he's flipping the tables and making her think that she did something wrong Mm -hmm. so that's gaslighting 101 um and the the thing that i found so ridiculous is he tells her that she has no respect for him which is rich considering what he just did to her exactly um but i I think he's also making a big deal about it so that when she won't act on anymore right mm-hmm. and he's okay with that because he's hoping this continues with rory and it obviously works because in the end she agrees she says i'm never gonna answer your phone again um so he's just being a dick all around <laughs> yeah he's definitely well that's a given like he's definitely like you can he's definitely projecting you can definitely see that he's angry with himself and he's angry with the situation for he's i think he's angry at himself for like cheating on his wife probably because that's not how he was raised we can assume and at the same time he's angry at himself for getting into a marriage before he was before he was ready and do you really think in this moment he's angry at himself for cheating on her i think in i think on some level he is because really just based on like you said like the whole rosy you know rose gold sunshine sunshine tainted whatever world that stars hollow exists in is 
this place where Dean is seen as just the perfect gentleman who was raised to be a perfect gentleman. And in my, in my view, I think he is like, there's part of him that's, that's mad at himself in that moment when he's leaving uh, Lorelai and Rory's house where he looks panicked as shit because he's like, crap, even if I don't love my wife, what I just did was wrong. I think you can see that instinct in him. I'm not saying it's, I'm not saying I sympathize with him as a result. Yeah, no, I see where you're coming from. But for me, I see it differently. I don't think he's, I don't think at this point right now, while they're having this conversation, he is thinking about um, being sorry for cheating on his wife or feeling bad for cheating on his wife. Because, you know, when Rory and Lorelai are having that conversation, um, and Rory goes, well, we were safe and all those Trojan men com- jokes paid off, right? Mm-hmm. And he's like nodding his head. He's like, yeah, yeah, tell her we were safe. She might like buy it. You know what I mean? Um, I'm like, that's not a man to me that's like, I really regret cheating on my wife. <laughs> that's a man who's like, yeah, tell her what she needs to hear um, so that she doesn't spill the beans and that I don't come off looking like an asshole. But um yeah, I don't know. To me, it doesn't read like somebody who's upset that they cheated on their wife. Okay, I'll offer an addendum where Dean, like, you're right, like, Dean was kind of nodding along with that. So I think, like, Dean was raised slash trained to, like, realize, oh, the error, like, there was an error in cheating on his wife. So it's like, mm-hmm. he's he's been programmed, for lack of a better term, to think, to feel that way, even though he might not. So it's like, he feels bad about himself for multiple reasons. Like, look at your appearance, sir. I'm like, get a <laughs> um, so I think, you know, when, when we feel bad about ourselves and we're angry, like we're going to take that anger out on someone or something. And I think Lindsay yeah. was the first target in, in, in view and it just, it blew up. But I did, I'm pretty sure I mentioned this last season. It's been a very long time, but <laughs> I'm pretty sure I said that like Lindsay is not, innocent in this equation not in terms of like the adultery like she didn't cheat on anybody but like she's complete complete she's not innocent she is complicit in this um getting married too young pyramid scheme that she and dean have invested in and yeah but in the grand scheme of things um you know the getting married too young crime is not really a crime when you compare it to adultery like if you had no but like let's say you've gotten married too young and it wasn't working out and you're trying your hardest to make him roast beef and like you know and be the wife that you know that's what i have a a problem with (laughs) no i get it but here's the thing if that was your only issue yeah um then you can say like you know clearly it's not working we're fucking dumb let's just call this off yeah and that would be the end of that but you know, she's trying her best. And who knows if this hadn't happened, maybe they would have come to the realization themselves that they made a huge mistake. Cause clearly none, neither one of them is happy. Right. Okay. I so, don't, I don't think so. <laughs> yeah. We're going to go out on a limb here, <laughs> but you know, in the grand scheme of things, getting married too young, that can be fixed. You know what I mean? You can get a divorce. Whereas now it's like, she's still trying. She's still putting in the effort and you've checked out. I think that's a way bigger transgression, if you will, 
than, you know, her saying, let's get married. Yeah, maybe she was stupid to say, let's get married at 18 and not want a job and like not go to college. Okay, yeah. But at the end of the day, he cheated on her. Yeah, okay, I should rephrase. I should not equate, um, you know, Lindsay wanting to get married young and live like Donna Reed and to... I should not I should not equate that mistake to Dean's mistake of adultery. That's not on the same playing field. But like, I don't know, every single time that we see Lindsay as a married woman throughout season four and the beginning of season five, I'm just like, I'm seeing that Ariel Versace uh, gif from season 11 of RuPaul's Drag Race, where it's like, girl, delusions. Like, that's what I... Like, that's all I can think of is just like, girl, delusions. Like, you thought you were going to get married in the year 2003, I think it was, and live like a 50s housewife? Like, yeah. uh, no. I think I think the, the episode also does a really good job of showing us just how young Lindsay and Dean are mm-hmm. when she's sitting at the table. She's like, my mom made brownies and she put gummy worms in them. Yeah, exactly. And you're like, God, you are literal children. What the fuck have you done? Yeah, <laughs> And I, but I also, I don't agree with a point that you made. <laughs> Tell me. Going back to, you you said that they probably would have gotten divorced if Rory and Dean hadn't slept together because they're both v- visually unhappy. True, they're both visually unhappy. But I think given the extent to which Lindsay was committed to fulfilling her Donna Reed housewife lifestyle, I think I if she, if Dean and Rory hadn't uh, bounced on the bed, as we say around these parts, if that mm-hmm. hadn't have, if that hadn't have happened, I personally could see Dean and Lindsay living unhappily ever after in Stars Hollow until they're both old and ugly and decrepit. So here's why I don't agree. Okay. Because I think no, I think I see where you're coming from, but and I think that's true for Dean. Mm-hmm. So. Because Dean, we already know, is a piece of shit who married her even though he was saying Rory's name the night before his wedding. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, we knew he was going to go through with it no matter what, and he was probably going to stick it out, like you said, until he was old and decrepit and super unhappy. Um, I kind of give Lindsay more credit. Than yeah, okay, I. maybe I'm being Mr. Interna- internalized. No, but I mean, I think at this point it's safe to say that, Um, but because we know what's going to happen next, and like, she grows some balls kind of thing. Um. But I think, you know, at 19, you're so fucking young. It's just a blip on the radar. Get it annulled. Let's move on. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? You have your whole lives ahead of you. And I think that's something that Lindsay would have come to the realization um, of before Dean, right? Yeah. Dean is very much a, like, stuck-in-his-way kind of guy. Like, my parents didn't get divorced and nobody gets divorced because we're good Christians. Like, <laughs> that... That to me is how Dean comes across. And in Chicago, we call it pop. Yeah. Well, anyways, but like, so I get what you're saying on that front. But I think, uh, I, I don't think we're giving Lindsay enough credit. I think she would have woken up eventually. Maybe just to the fact, like, if he keeps treating her the way he treated her when she answered his fucking phone. Yeah. Um, eventually, I think she would have been like, yo, bye. Yeah, no, you're right. In terms of, you're right, now that you say, like, she's, they're only 19, like, she would have come to the and like, I'm still young, like, fuck you, bye. Yeah, I have my whole life ahead of me. Even I, if have my good, and I have even, my good boob years ahead of me. <laughs> and even if she wasn't young, like, you can still, like, leave your husband at any age and say ciao, like. Yeah, of course. You know, your whole life is still your whole life, no matter what age you are. You are never too old to break up with somebody. Somebody um, shitty. Exactly. 
know your worth. But anyways, um, I want to talk about Rory and Dean meeting up afterwards. Um, so Rory's using a payphone. And to me, that was just hilarious because I'm like, wow, she's already in the mindset of a cheater. Um, <laughs> leave no paper trail. <laughs> Speaking of payphones and cheaters, don't the lyrics of Maroon 5's payphone kind of make a whole Ooh. lot of sense now? We're super mad at Adam Levine right now. But anyways. Just saying, if you want to talk about payphones and cheaters, yeah. one one person in that band has a song about a payphone and he also cheated on his phone. Just yeah, pretty uh <laughs> pretty gross if you ask me um but yeah so she's i was just i kept thinking rory you're in you're already in the mindset of a cheater yeah. um but yeah she she tells dean they have to talk and they end up meeting at miss patty's and i have a question for you uh-huh. why can't these idiots keep their fucking hands off each other <laughs> I don't know. I really you don't. You are in a public space, sir, ma'am. In terms of like, they can't keep their hands off each other in a public space or they can't keep their hands off each other just in general. Like in general, but also like that's a dance studio where three-year-olds go to dance. Yes, but also <laughs> <laughs> also I think there's a connection because that's where they spent their first night together. Yeah, no, I was going to say the same thing. And um, as Lane points out after the fact, you did it at Miss Patty's, she would be so proud. <laughs> and I, I believe that, Lane. Yes. I think she would be so proud. Um, but, you know, I also think she would be so proud if they weren't cheating. Yeah. I think Miss Patty would frown upon cheating. Um, but what I wanted to say about this, this scene really pissed me off for a very, maybe not obvious reason. Um, but I'm going to share it anyways. <laughs> so, you know, when they're talking... And she's saying stuff and he's like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, um, so if you listen very closely, there's that acoustic guitar in the background mm-hmm. that is usually only reserved for really big moments yes. in the show. Um, and usually it's when something sweet and momentous is happening. Yeah. Um, or, or certainly it has been up until this point. And so that's another thing that I felt like the vibes were off because I don't know if they think we're dumb and we wanted this to happen. But the way they wrote it, it's like, no one's happy about this. Why are you trying to make us happy about this? But actually, if you think about it, in that moment where they, you know, start to get handsy and Miss Patty's and... It happens again. Like my God, it's an epidemic. Um, if, if, if you like, if you pay close attention, the acoustic guitar comes to a grinding halt when we cut abruptly to her, to Lane's reaction of "You did what?" Yeah, so, no, I get that, like, but it's still... starting, I think the show is trying to be a little bit tongue in cheek with its typical like la 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 happy moment, happy fall moment of turmoil, la 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 la, and then oh my God, you did what? Like it's trying yeah. to bring you back into reality a bit. I get that, but it's just, it just made me so fucking angry. Oh, yeah, that's a normal reaction. If you're not angry yeah. watching Say Goodbye to Daisy Miller, then there's a problem. Yeah, I mean, and, you know, Rory's whole reaction, Rory's whole explanation, I should say, to Lane, she was like, I had a plan. I was going to go in there and say all these things. Yeah, girl, we call that being dickmatized. <laughs> you were hypnotized by his dick. Oh, dear. Okay. That's what happened. You think Dean is well endowed? 
what the fuck? <laughs> choose, not, choose not to answer? Okay. <laughs> no, no, I mean, probably. He's tall. Okay, yeah. Do you think he's a long dog? Mm, I mean, I have my own jazz fantasies, so it's fine. We'll move on. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Okay. So you make me answer, but you won't answer. He's probably, like, I could, mm, I could see it, just like that whole, like, straight boy jock image i could go yeah i could see it i could see it yeah i mean look lane's reaction is actually hilarious um she's having a full-on anxiety attack as would i (laughs) i mean i would as well but so here's the thing i think the fact i think this was the reaction that rory was hoping for so this is the reaction of a friend, right? This is not the reaction of a concerned parent, a disappointed parent. This is the reaction of a friend. And again, this is the problem with being your child's best friend. Yeah. They want a best friend reaction when you're giving them a mom reaction. Yeah. Right. And so she needed to go and be a girl for a little bit and gossip with her friend and be like, Oh my God, can you believe it girl? And like, I'm glad that Lane was able to give her that. Mm-hmm. I think Lane is also just living vicariously through her. Um, you know, but it it's the same thing, you know. This is why you're not best friends with your child because this is the reaction Rory wanted. Um, and you're not gonna give her that, obviously, you know. Exactly. That's like when I when I say like the like the rift is brewing, it's like there's that where Lorelai is still the mom, but like Lorelai yeah. also still has her limitations, which we'll see later. Yeah. And, you know, one of the things that I did like about this conversation was that as much as they were like being giggly schoolgirls and like, yeah, we had sex, whatever, how was it, this and that, um, you know, she still wants Lane's opinion. Mm-hmm. And she still wants to talk it out with her and be like, well, what do you think? What should I do? And then she starts to come to this realization that I came to last season um, that I think the exact words I used last season were Dean knows exactly what to say uh-huh. because, you know, she's starting to realize that she didn't really ask a lot of questions. She was just going off his word. Right. Yeah. Um she she said he said it was over at least i think that's what he said oh my god i should have asked more questions we both know it's over. you know what i mean Mm -hmm. so you can tell that doubt is starting to creep in and she doesn't know what the deal is with dean and that she probably should have asked more questions right yeah but i also think it came off as really naive that she thinks they're like automatically back together (laughs) yeah like girl no yeah there's that I think it kind of lends itself to what Lorelai told her in season four of like, you've never really dated. Like you've only had long-term relationships. So it's like, as yeah. soon as, as soon as Dean, her first, you know, her first long-term express re-expresses interest in her. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, star, star eyes, let's go. I'm ready. I love you, Dean. <laughs> so no, you're, you're no all, girl. No. Rory is also delusional. I made a note of that too. Like you can't say girl delusions, but just Lindsay. Like you're all delusional. no, no, not at all. I think um, she's definitely in a in a in a very delusional state. Um, what I will say though is I'm glad she's finally starting to ask herself some questions. It would have been great if you had done that before you unzipped his pants. But <laughs> um, you know, I, I do kind of like the fact that the rational, logical Rory is is kind of permeating this hybrid Rory (laughs) that we're seeing right now, because it's true. This is a Rory that we've never really seen before an an impulsive Rory. 
Mm-hmm. Um, you know, she's usually way more calculated, thinks her decisions through. And, you know, now that the, the fog has kind of lifted, she's starting to say like, well, is that really what he said? Like, are we back together? Is he going to leave his wife? Does she actually know? And I think then when she watches Lindsay at the butchers. Yeah. Um, so not only is she starting to realize that there really is another person involved in this, more so than when she answered the phone the other night. Um, I think she's just starting to doubt everything that Dean said again, right? Um, yeah, you're right. And I she's starting like, to it's in not that just moment, in that moment. I'm just inclined to be like, Lindsay, what do you like? No, stop trying to cook for this man. But yeah, I, know. <laughs> I mean, you know, she sees a wife who's actively trying to make her marriage work. Yeah. And that is contrary to what Dean told her. Exactly. Like Dean was very adamant. We both know it's over. Like you know, like, but then Lindsay clearly doesn't. Yeah, that's exactly it. She's like, well, Dean said they both know it's over, but this woman is spending I don't know how much money and time at the butchers trying to make him his perfect pot roast. You know what I mean? So, uh, you know, she, I think she's starting to doubt Dean a little bit too. Yeah. Um, which, you know, <laughs> hi girl, you should have been doing it. Yeah, which it should be just a little FYI. <laughs> yeah. So I think, um, I think for now I've said all I want to say about Dean and Rory. But before, before we move on to Emily Gilmore's most iconic moment, I do yeah. want to add one last thing about Rory, Dean, Lindsay. Which I yeah. don't remember. I don't remember if we, if you brought this up during season three of our podcast, but it was brought to our attention on our Instagram at some point. I don't remember when it was, but I remember reading from. A, I remember reading a message from someone on our, on our Instagram pointing out that in season three, after the whole house party fight between Dean and Jess, where Dean essentially is defending Rory's honor all throughout the house while attending said party with Lindsay like right after that happened he proposed to her and is telling Rory oh we're getting married it's like yeah um hmm was there like a bit of a a moment of doubt there between Rory between Dean and Lindsay where it's like um well Dean you just if you just like picked a fight with her boyfriend off of that the house and the cops came like what am I to think and he's like oh will you marry me that's how I yeah, I was the one that brought that up because I was like, you know how you know you're too fucking immature to get married? Yeah. You're a 17, 18 year old that instead of like having a fight with your girlfriend, you propose to her to shut her up. And you like an idiot, Lindsay, will be like, okay. <laughs> you know, so I, I understand where you're coming from when you say like she's she's she has a hand to play in all this, too. Yeah. Um, but you know it just it just goes to show this marriage was never meant to last no it was not who proposes because their person's mad at them toxic person that's who that's exactly right you know it's it's that's exactly what it is it's toxic ladies ask for more you deserve better yeah (laughs) um so i want to talk about emily and richard and Emily Gilmore's most iconic moment of the entire series. Yes. So I think this is probably the funniest Emily and Richard scene of the entire show. Yes. Um, and although their interaction is brief in this episode, mm-hmm. um, we see way more of Emily by herself than we do with Richard. Um, it is definitely, it's super impactful, I think. 
Yes. Um, and it does, I believe, offer a little bit of closure into the upside down world that was season four for these two. Mm-hmm. Um, so Richard and Emily get home, presumably from the inn, and Emily no longer gives a fuck. No. She's done. She's done. And she's still upset with Penelope Lodge. She's still bringing her up like a petty bitch she is. Good for you, girl. Um, you know, she's looking for a passport. She wants her fucking luggage. She's going to Paris. She's having those drinks. Okay. She climbs out the window and she climbs out of her skirt just out of spite. Let's be honest. Cause she could have waited for him to come and undo the door. It was more, um, like, it was like a fatherly moment of like, I better not find you. It's like, are you my husband or are you my father? Fuck you. I'm going Yeah. To- well, that's exactly what it was. It was, you know, it's very clear at this point that she's argu- arguing just to argue. And this relationship has clearly reached its breaking point. You know what I mean? So, excuse me. I was kind of happy, so happy for her um, in all of this. Just like holding her her own in terms of Richard Richard treating her like crap. Yeah, and he's like, "Um, I'm talking to you. Where are you going? Like, fuck you. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, So, obviously, the iconic line that we're referring to is, only prostitutes drink two glasses of wine at lunch. Well, buy me a bow and what is it? (laughs) <laughs> Buy me the boa and drive me to Reno because I am open, I'm open for business. <laughs> best quote ever. That's yeah. the best quote ever. Um, and coming from such a woman who's usually so poised and so proper, it and was. It's, it's funny because like you can tell they both hold the same social values because she's like, I'm gonna wake up at ten and have two glasses of wine at lunch every single day. It's like, like that's like just such a oh my gosh, a treat, like, don't even, who does right. that? And that's what Richard says, like, only prostitutes would do that. She says, well, then buy me a boa and drive me to Reno because I am open for business. Yeah, it's just, um, and again, like, I know we've given credit to Kelly Bishop so many times, but this scene is just so fantastic. Um, she does such a good job. And I think what's really more telling about this scene is when she does eventually climb out of that window. Yes. Um, I think Richard said something that I think really cut Emily to the bone. (laughs) Um, But you can see in this moment where she decides not to back down. So he says, you're no longer the woman I married. And instead of sulking and taking it, like I believe she's done so many times in the past, you know, um, she lets him have it really. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, You know, she talks about how he used to respect her and he used to listen to her and talk to her. And that hasn't been the case lately. And, you know, as she walks away, you can tell that he doesn't know what to do with that because it never occurred to him, his duh man, it never occurred to him that this could also be his fault. You know, he's just assuming that Emily's being irrational. He's like, I knew mental illness ran in your family. Like he it never even occurred to him that like, you're also being a dick. See, that's what I thought you were talking about when she, when you said that he says something that cuts her the bone. I thought it was, I knew the mental illness in your family would catch up to you eventually. No, well, no let's, it's a podcast. Let's go a little deeper than that, sir. <laughs> well, because Emily's response is one of my favorite Emily. No, I know. It's such a good line also. Like, I'm kidding, but it's just. Aunt Cora was not more... mentally ill. She was athletic. Can you say lesbian? <laughs> but, um. Yeah, no, I uh, that line is also great. Um, the whole thing is great. It was just masterfully done. Yes. Um, but more than that, I think it's also very emotional because not only is she letting him have it um, and standing up for herself, but it's just this realization on his face that like, what? Yeah. I'm the problem? You know what I mean? So um, 
And that's the last we see of Richard in this episode until at the end where he's smoking a cigar. That, and um, that that just that tidbit of um Richard smoking a cigar at the end of the episode it makes me sad it's like Richard and Emily are, are just like done with each other and she's going to Europe and he's like smoking a cigar in the house, which clearly is something he didn't do before because Emily yeah. didn't like it and he's just like fuck you. It's just kind of like oh like Yeah, they're both done. Yeah. Yeah, and not to say that like they're both not to say either of them are innocent, but it's just like no. But I think listen, I think it's fair to say that <clears throat> you know it's it's no, they're not innocent, but it's fair to say that Emily's taken a lot more than he has, right? And he's had it way easier than she has. Oh, definitely. You know, so not to say that she's not also difficult and hasn't also you know not listened to him at times. But I think we can all, we're all team Emily. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. I don't think it's a stretch to say that, right? No. Um, and like, to your point of um, earlier when you said that, you know, season four into season five had like the biggest like anticipation of a, of a resolution to a big cliffhanger. Um, for me, like season four into season five is like the most serious, I think is like the most serialized the show ever is in terms of like usually the season like even with with shows that are heavily serialized like it'll pick up and it might be like oh a nice cold open or like a scene like setting the setting the tone or the pace for that new season and then you get back into the drama of what of what happened at the end of the previous season whereas like with season five episode one of Gilmore Girls it's like no no full on let's just pick right up where we left off no like no holds back just completely like if you missed the last episode you're gonna be you're gonna be lost and i found yeah i find that 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 was in a like an important stylistic choice that they made because by season five of a show you can kind of i'm gonna say do what you want but you can kind of like have a bit more free range to say like yeah yeah, a bit more liberties and like season you can say like oh well season four added on such a big cliffhanger like the the biggest cliffhanger we've done so far let's just have season five pick right up from where we left off no like hunky dory paint over it just like no no let's just have it have it all out right then and there well they know i think they're just smart they know that you know if they would have started with a stupid dumb cold open we would have been up in arms yeah exactly. (laughs) you know because we want to see what's happening (laughs) yeah and not to say they've done that in the past with like a, a big cliffhanger but like you know i like to compare for example to in season one after the episode with, with Rory's dance, it kind of just picks up, like it picks up like a few days later or the day I remember it picks up where exactly it picks up from, but like it's a little bit of time has passed and it's like, yeah, they're kind of walking on eggshells around the incident. It's like, no one's really saying boo. Whereas like in this case, five seasons later, it's no, no, just go, just go all in, have it all out right in front of you. Kind of yeah, they know, they know we want to see the aftermath, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, so I think that was really well done too. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to talk about the Emily lunch scene before we talk about the big stuff. I mean, um, the big stuff, like to think that Luke and Lorelai was like supposed to be the defining moment, like them getting, them getting together was supposed to be like the defining moment of the show so far. And have we talked about it once in this podcast yeah, episode? I'm waiting. <laughs> I'm waiting. Okay, let's talk about sure. Emily Emily's lunch before we move on to Java junkie, as they say. Yeah, well, the only thing I really want to talk about with Emily's lunch is, um, you know, when Emily invites Rory to Europe and Lorelai is encouraging her to go, 
I think she definitely wants her to go to get her away from Dean. Oh, definitely. Um, but I think she's also hoping that a little bit of time away from Stars Hollow and away from the whole situation mm-hmm. will help her gain some perspective and see things her way. Because even though we got that little tidbit of her and Lane and like we as an audience know that she's kind of feeling it right now, she's played it very cool with her mother, you know? She's not giving an inch. So her mother really has no inclination that she thinks she did something wrong. Um, So maybe she's like, yeah, go to Europe and maybe like you'll clear your fucking head because this is not normal. Yeah. Um, And yeah, selfishly, she's also probably thinking, yeah, get away before you can do anything stupid again. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, it's just the whole thing is also just very sad because you can tell they're both not used to this. They're both used to talking things out and it's killing them. Um, and I think there's something to be said too for Rory, like both Rory and Lorelai realizing like the limitations of themselves with each other, where it's like, they want to have this out, but it's like Lorelai is now like, no, I'm the mom. And it's just like this, it's, it's kind of just this disconnects, I guess, for lack of a better word, where they, they don't know, how to they don't know how to communicate past these bounds it's like they've never had these they've never had any really any real boundaries with each other for Rory's entire life which isn't really you know a healthy part of of a mother-daughter relationship so once they've reached a part a point like this one where Rory has committed uh you know a discretion of considerable magnitude it just for Lorelai to then assume the mom role and try to like just offer wisdom or advice or like let's talk it out and Rory's like no no it's just kind of yeah um I'm not gonna say it's you know unexplored territory for them in their whole life whole lives together but in terms of us as viewers you know Lorelai makes the comment of weren't you supposed to go through this phase like five years ago and it just reminds us kind of like that line in particular pulls me out of my viewing experience to think like just pulls me back into reality of like no she didn't have that experience because you you were like chummy chummy and like you're not supposed to be that chummy chummy with your mother or your daughter. Yeah. But I also think like so even if they've had fights in the past and we've certainly seen them have fights in the past um I think their parenting her parenting style has always been able to work because it hasn't been something this monumental, right? Yeah. Um you know, we're talking about adultery. <laughs> we're yeah. talking about, you know, this considerable step in your life and in a lot of young women's lives, losing their virginity and you doing it with a married man and thinking, you know, better, (laughs) you know? And I think it's also like, you know, when parents say, Oh, you think, you know, it all, you're just a kid, you know, I don't think Lorelai's ever had to deal with that because Rory's always been super mature for her age. And even when she was a kid, she was an adult. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I think that's like, I I think you say that. Yeah, exactly. I think that's like an issue as a parent too, where it's like, you kind of put yourself in cruise control as, as a mother thinking like, oh, she's fine. She's Rory. She studies la like, no, no, like, my, like she's still going to need you. I don't think, and I don't think to, that's not to say that Lorelai ever thought she, Rory was done needing her, but was kind of like you just because she's been, you know, the good quiet keeps her head down kid her whole life doesn't mean she's not going to suddenly go through a phase like she said like we're supposed to this phase five years ago like no fuck you (laughs) that's how i don't know that's just to me is it's it's ignorant on lorelei's part to assume that like to assume your daughter would know better because like 
how to what extent have you raised your daughter if you're, if you're busy being her friend yeah <laughs> I, agree. No, I agree i remember um remember i said i said once i think it was in season two of our podcast you thought it was very it was very uh eloquent the way i said it was Lorelai doesn't know how to be a mother any more than she knows how to be a friend. And I think that's, yeah. I think that's really evident in moments like these. Yeah, no, I agree for sure. Do better, Lorelai. Um, <laughs> yeah, exactly, Lorelai. Goddamn. But also Rory, come on. Both of you, uh, like, both of you just do better. <laughs> yeah, but they're also just, you know, that's the thing that I think people don't understand is that that a tele any television show is not meant to be these ideal human beings right exactly. um like you want, I find myself you want flawed human storytelling yeah i mean i i find myself being really really annoyed with television shows that portray these characters as saints mm -hmm. a lot of the time and i think don't yell at me not you but like the fandom i think that was the that's my problem with like shows like this is us yeah like every fucking so not with the main characters, but like the way they portray Milo Ventimiglia's character yeah. as being the saint and how like everything he did was this big moment and he was just the best. Like that's un that takes me out of it. Yeah, I, <laughs> like, think, I think like no human being is like that. No, I think I, I only watched the pilot of This Is Us when it aired and then never really got into it. But I think I think the show itself had nuance, but fans of Milo who are obviously also you know, most likely Gilmargo's fans like they kind of elevated the Jack Pearson character to be this like like you said this this perfect father this perfect just this perfect character this perfect patriarchal figure and it's like no and also how much of that is daddy issues but that's a, that's a separate <laughs> story. <laughs> yeah I don't know but it's it's yeah it's super interesting to me when people always complain about how god this dumb character she shouldn't have done that well like do you want to watch a show about nobody fucking up because go to the hallmark channel and then there's then there's like the the other the other to the other end of that extreme where there's shows where it's all the characters do is fuck up and it's like hey i need yeah. some light in my life like, yeah i know like i need one redeeming moment <laughs> but that's why i could never get through all of lena dunham's show girls like for other reasons too it was very problematic but like i tried getting back into it a few weeks ago because i never finished it i'm like i watched this at a time in my life when i felt like I, all i was doing was fucking up and so i needed to, i need to watch other people doing it so i could feel better about myself and now i'm just like no like can can you just like get your life together please like i'm not Seriously. watching this you know yeah there's times in that show especially where you really want to shake the characters but anyways moving on, moving on. um let's talk about lorelei and luke um, so like we said, we're expecting this big momentous occasion, but the writers being the writers, we're like, nah, we're going to make them wait more. <laughs> yeah. And they're kind of, they're kind of an afterthought until the, until like the last scene of the episode pretty much. But I think that's, that's done for a reason, right? Because I think throughout the whole episode, Lorelai's kind of scattered enough as it is with Rory mm -hmm. that she doesn't even have time to think about what happened with Luke. Um, so I think like when, when Suki kind of confronts her, confronts her, you know what I mean? Like Suki approaches her and is like, oh my God, you kissed, you know, she, she doesn't even know what to say because she hasn't had a second to think about it. Yeah. Um, Cause so much else is going on, like with the launch of her in her daughter making a huge mistake with her, with her life. And it's yeah, like yeah. So I think it's, it's very, um, 
it's very on brand for the episode, shall we say? Yeah. Um, but it's also very on brand for these writers to be like, nah, we're gonna make you wait some more. Um, but yeah, I do think the whole scene where she comes back at the inn and Kirk's lying on the uh, on the couch because he fell butt first into some roses um, <laughs> is really sets it, it sets the tone for their whole interaction for the rest of the episode because Luke can tell right away that something's wrong. Yeah. Um, because, you know, when have you not known Lorelai to be the chattiest person in the room, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, especially if something like this just happened. So that obviously puts doubt in his mind, you know? Mm-hmm. He thought they just had this really great moment, and now she's coming back. She looks like, you know, her mind is going a thousand miles a minute. And he's just, I think in that moment, he's like, oh, shit, do we do something wrong, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I mean... And then it kind of goes from there where they're both kind of doubting themselves. I will say, though, I do love when Lorelai takes the initiative to call him. Mm. Just take a moment and be like, okay, we're going to sit down. We're going to we're going to talk about it, you know, and because in that moment, the old Luke is starting to creep in. Yeah, He's like, no, we can just forget about it. No, bitch. You can't just forget about it. Okay. I will not let you. It's been four years. years we're gonna talk about this okay (laughs) um so me as a fan i was like luke don't do it because you can kind of see him falling into his old patterns and i'm so glad she kind of coaxed it out of him and he went along with it because he could have just as easily been like nah you know forget it you know because that's i think it's also very realistic the way they portrayed that like now that we're now we talk about it in depth like in the moment you're like why are they an afterthought i've waited four years of my life for this Um, yeah I think it was it was kind of calculated of them to have like have like their first kiss like in the launch of Lorelai's Inn. Like she's the center of attention. She's you know being she has to be an octopus with eight eight hands everywhere at once. It's like to have that moment happen in the midst of so much chaos was kind of like I don't know some kind of allegory for like real life. You know like real life. Ha- what is that stupid cliche of like real life happens when we're not looking? Whatever the fuck it is like like that kind of. Oh, I thought you were going to talk about, like, life art imitates life. Oh, no, no. <laughs> like, in terms Well, because I think there's also something to be said about that, too. Because I was about to say, like, can we just give it up for Lorelai? She had the launch of her inn. Mm. Her parents, like, fucking made it about them again. Yeah. Her daughter just did the stupidest thing with her hymen. Uh, <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> um, a hymen is not a representation of virginity. I'm sorry. <laughs> Oh, it's um, not. <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like, Jason showed up at the last minute. Um, She has an infill of guests. Uh, You know, this thing just happened in her personal life. Fucking Michelle brought Pow Pow and Chin Chin and they're chewing shoes. Oh, my like, God. You know what I mean? Like, can we just give it up for Lorelai for not, like, going into the woods and just fucking screaming? Yeah, for sure. She needs a random and I think, that. Yeah, I think that's also just really... Um, I think that was also done on purpose. Like... ASP's whole point of this show was to show sh- to show strong independent women mm-hmm. and you know Lorelai's also been working towards this goal for 10 years she says last season yeah. so she's like fuck that I have a business to run like go be a brat somewhere else Rory like as Reese Witherspoon recently said on The View women's stories matter they just matter they just do <laughs> <laughs> no I get it but like so yeah I was just round of applause for fucking Lorelai please everybody please um the I other think, thing i will say i think yeah, the, cli- the cliche i was thinking of was not 
real life or whatever I said it was like um life happens when we're busy making other plans or something like yeah something that, like that whole concept of it happens when you least expect it where she like you said Lorelai has so much going on and and then Laura and then like that moment that we've been waiting for the I'm guessing they've been waiting for for how many years of their friendship like it, that's when it happens and she's like that's why they're like both in disbelief in the moment of just like you stand still like shut up yeah you know like and then you know kirk has to run through screaming but you know still hilarious though. <laughs> um the whole time during the phone scene you know lorelei tells him can you go outside and he's like my phone doesn't reach outside but then you go into the fucking bowels of your storage room I'm like you're st- really it doesn't reach outside but it reaches the fucking storage room like, how long is that cord <laughs> the longest fucking cord by the way children for those of you who don't know phones used to be on the wall oh um, yeah yeah and you used to have to dodge your mother while she was gossiping while cooking dinner i think the like, most, oh. i think the most iconic like phone with a cord in terms of like having to drag it as far as you possibly could was on roseanne like that that oh, kitchen <laughs> that kitchen phone like that cord went all the way to the front door <laughs> that kitchen phone had been through the ringer god lord but anyways i just remember distinctly like my mom being on the phone with my aunt um like after school talking about what they saw on Oprah that day. Yeah. And me like having to dodge the fucking cord. My mom be like, move out of the fucking way. And I'm like, I'm hungry. <laughs> um, anyways, there's that. Um, so at the end of the episode, Luke calls Lorelai and leaves her a bunch of messages telling her that he has to go to Maryland because Liz and TJ got into an accident and he has to help out at the Renaissance Fair. Mm-hmm. And, you know, again, I think we're all hoping for a big Lorelai and Luke scene in this episode. Um, but you know, the writers being the writers love to drag it out. But this I will say what no. <laughs> no, thank you. But um, I do think that it was still really fitting to have like their big moment not even be face to face. You know what I mean? It just it feels very them. Yeah, like both like both pivotal conversations between them in this in this in this episode were on the phone. It's because life was yeah. it's because life was pulling them in, in other directions. Yeah, I mean, a lot of that is just shit happens. Life is life. A lot of that was just the writers fucking with us. They're like, it's going to be so funny. They're going to hate us. Um, but I think um, I think it was just, it, it fit them really well. And I do have to say, in one of Luke's messages, um, he says something that I think might be the most vulnerable we've ever seen him. Mm-hmm. He says, just don't change your mind until I get back. Yeah, it's like I think that's the extent of Luke's vulnerability. Yeah, and I think that's a preview for, for what we see later with you know the, I guess we can we say it's iconic. I don't know if that's a bit that's maybe it's a bit of a strong word like his line of "I'm all in." I mean, it's definitely iconic in the fandom. Yeah, uh, meaning like Scott. Patterson. It's one of those lines that really sticks out in the fandom. Meaning like um, Scott Patterson yeah, named his podcast after it. Yeah, well, that's <laughs> don't make me talk about that, no. but um. I, I definitely think it's the reason I think it's so iconic is because it's him who's saying it um, yeah. because it's not usually a, he's not usually a person that would say stuff like that. No. So the fact that we get to see these very vulnerable mo- moments back to back to back, is just so new for us that we're all like, Oh my God. Yeah. yeah. So um, it's also, let's be honest, just really romantic <laughs> as well. Um it's so cute. it's like it, it's it's like a, a treat for us after a long hectic episode of this that this that this that where it's like 
just don't change your mind okay it's like yeah, okay okay i won't <laughs> I want this you know yeah no i i definitely think it's it's beautiful um anything else you want to talk about for this episode um i did have a point marked down about why the fuck does michelle treat his dogs like literal children i know like that is that to me is like one of the most annoying Michelle bits where it's like he treat like he especially when they when they pass in season seven and it's like oh I'm sorry my dog's passing is an inconvenience but it's like First of all, only one of them died all right I thought about I don't really care about this but it's to be like dogs <laughs> my my opinion on his dogs is similar to that of Fran I don't give a fuck Fran's stupid and old and I'm glad she died oh Jesus okay <laughs> um yeah i mean michelle was super annoying this episode um but it's also again very on brand for him like did he do that out of like i don't know did he did he anticipate his dogs chewing taylor's shoe is that why he said like did he only give notice of a complimentary shoe shining service to taylor in anticipation of his dogs chewing his shoes in the hallway no i think michelle has always kind of wanted more responsibility more at the inn more involvement and in his mind, he was like, if I put these things in the room and people ask for them, then she's going to be forced to say that I was right. Yeah. I don't think he anticipated that Papa and Chinchin were going to go and bite this fucking shoe. <laughs> um, but, you know, it's one more headache for Lorelai to have to deal with. Yeah, it's just, it's like, we only see Michelle for a split second in this episode, considering all that happened. But yeah, I don't know. It's just him and his dogs are just, it's just an annoying bit for me. And it's like, it's, it's ironic to me that he, like you said, he wants more responsibility. And it's like when Suki makes an idea, we like roll out the red carpet. But like when Michelle makes an idea, it's like no one listens. It's like as soon as either of them were to give him more responsibility, he would be like, oh, people are particularly stupid today. I can't talk to anyone. Like, oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, okay. Like, um, but I do to that point though, when Suki wants to make individual cakes, we're like, Suki, what a marvelous idea. I do think there's something to that because this is not at all what I want to talk about, but now that you brought it up, whatever, I'm just going to say it. <laughs> um, Suki is, well, you know what? Maybe we should leave it because there is an episode that touches on this later on. You know what? I'm going to shut my trap. Okay. We'll put a pin in it. Was there anything else you had? Uh... Yeah. I had one more thing I wanted to say um, about the music in this episode. Yeah. So there, there's an actual Sam Phillips song that plays at the end. Yeah. So we're really used to hearing Sam Phillips in the background with her lalas and her it's look, it's very rare in Gilmore Girls as a whole that we get actual songs with actual lyrics that are part of the actual plot. Yes. Um, you know, the music uses a device. Um, you know, and we touched on this a little bit in season one, they started doing that. And I think they kind of found their sound and realized that they didn't want to be that kind of show. And, you know, for the most part, I think it works really, really well, just having these iconic, like, la 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 la's in the background. Mm -hmm. Um, but you know, you can't think of Gilmore Girls without thinking of Sam Phillips. Mm -hmm. Um, this is one of the rare instances where we have a complete song with lyrics that fit the mood and that like make you really think about it. And, um, you know, one of the moments is when Emily's leaving the house and Richard's smoking his cigar in the background. And, you know, the lyric at that exact moment is, when I go this time, I don't think I'm coming back. And I was like, God damn. Yeah, it's very, it's very profound for, yeah, like, it's very point, not profound, poignant is the word I was looking for. Yeah. Yeah, I know. 
definitely I think it definitely leaves its mark um you know to be here a flanksman yeah um a note actually I think- about Sam Phillips songs used in Gilmore Girls or just in general about Sam Phillips doing the music and the score for Gilmore Girls um with the rise in popularity of Instagram reels using like Gilmore Girls aesthetic and imagery for like fall rewatch season or whatever bullshit likes to go around the fandom at this time of year um obviously sam phillips has actual music and actual songs that can be included and used in instagram reels and a lot of people have been expressing to us on instagram that they didn't know a they didn't know that sam phillips did the music like they didn't know it was an actual artist having done the score for gilmore girls and b like they didn't know that she had actual songs and a lot of people think that like this song, like the La La La's come from existing songs of hers, but I have to correct that. Cause I recently, like I knew about Sam Phillips having done music. I didn't know a lot about her as an artist, but I've recently looked into it. And I'm sure you know this as a, you know, fan of, bit, of a bit bigger proportions than I am, um, is that the La La La's are inspired by different notes in existing songs of hers. There's not actually any songs with with like the actual la la la's as they're written for Gilmore Girls, she just she pulled them from existing melodies in her own songs. Fun fact. Fun fact. Did you know that? Yeah, no. <laughs> yeah, so I knew that. Um, so I know that this, the la la la's are created especially for Gilmore Girls, mm-hmm. um, and I think outside of you know the iconic intro song in Carol King, um, Sam Phillips is the voice that we hear. Um, that we most associate with um, Gilmore Girls. Mm-hmm. Um, and just that, like, she just has such a unique tone that I think is gorgeous. Yeah. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm actually sad that she, you know, sh- sh- she's not more popular. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think she's only popular now because of Gilmore Girls. Yeah. And you know what? Great. Because, um, you know, she also did the score on his. Right. Um, and she also does the score for Mrs. Maisel. So, I guess, so I'm guessing she and ASP are very chummy. <laughs> well, I mean, I think I said this before as well. Um, I think once you work with ASP and they put their com- she and her husband put their confidence in you, they first of all, I think they have a knack for casting in general. I think every single person that they've ever cast has been a perfect fit for their role. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think when you think about iconic characters like Emily Gilmore and Paris Geller, you, you cannot imagine different actresses playing them. Yeah. Um, but I think what's really true, and we made this point in a tweet a couple of years ago, I think, is that once you work with them and they've put their confidence in you, they're going to work with you forever. Mm-hmm. Um, so they find the best of the best and they keep working with them. And it fucking works because they have two hit shows in their hands. Bunheads was unfairly canceled. I will stand by that. Um, <laughs> <clears throat> but you know, like all the, a lot of the same writers she uses, she used a lot of you know, clearly she uses Sam Phillips for a lot of the music. So um, you know, they clearly they clearly know what they're doing, okay? <laughs> yeah. Heads, by the way, is available to stream on Disney Plus, at least yes, for us, at least for us here in Canada. I know content might vary worldwide, but if you're Canadian, I know for a fact it's on Disney Plus here. Um, would you have a favorite would you say that like the Sam Phillips song Mm -hmm. in the season 5 premiere is your favorite because I know that mine I think is Where the Colors Don't Grow from the pilot I yeah Where the Colors Don't Grow is more upbeat Mm -hmm. so I think I don't 
<clears throat> excuse me, I don't necessarily um, associate it with Gilmore Girls as much. I understand that iconic scene where she's sitting outside her parents' house. Um, it's still a great song. Um, but I think the most popular Sam Phillips song to come out of Gilmore Girls is Reflecting Light. That, um, I think, How to Dream is pretty popular. Oh, yeah. 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 I mean, she's just great. <laughs> so Gosh. if you didn't already know, there's an actual musical artist behind the score of Gilmore Girls, and her music is available to stream wherever you stream your music, because I've looked into I've since looked into it myself. I didn't know a whole lot about it. I did know there was an artist behind the La La La's, but if you ever need a little bit more of that in your life, you can add her to your library. It's honestly very soothing to study to or to work from home with. Really? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, except if that fucking guitar, acoustic guitar comes on and I'm thinking of Candyman and Dean like not being able to keep in his pants. I'm in a rage. Anyways. Jeffrey, where can they find us? God, I miss saying that. So you can find us where you usually have found us on tweeters at Gilmore Podcast, on Instagram at Gilmore Girls Podcast. And once again, we would very much appreciate if you could consider subscribing to our Patreon or Patreon, as Tom Daly says it. Um, you can find us at patreon.com slash Gilmore Girls Podcast. And once you subscribe and pay monthly, you will gain access to our bi-monthly newsletter called Lunch at Luke's, which is debuting along with this podcast episode this week. So um, we hope that we will motivate you to please join because we put a lot of time and effort into that as well as the podcast. So please make it worth it, please. Please, I'm being nice, please. Okay. Um, and yes, we will see you next time for the next episode, correct? Correct. <laughs> Thank you for listening. Bye.